If worship's any indication, I expect a few amens. <laughs> All right. Well, it's always a privilege to be with friends, and I am super proud of this church for many reasons, reaching out to the city and the people and having thriving life groups and college ministry and all kinds of stuff, um, but the Unbound team is doing amazing, and I love seeing y'all's kids out there with their involvement, learning about slavery in our world, and so thank you so much for that. I want to introduce my family that's here because the girls all live in Dallas, crazy, crazy, but uh, this is Brooke and her boyfriend Cameron and Anna and Jessica, you want to wave? <laughs> and then my amazing, incredible husband of 27 years, Marty. Missing, we're missing the little bits, the caboose, but she uh, can't be here today. Anyway, uh, they asked me to speak about a heart for justice, which is easy, easy to do because we live in such an exciting time. Don't let the media scare you because God is on the move in unprecedented ways, right? And it says when the darkness comes in, God raises a standard against him. This is the greatest hour of the church. And there's such a move of God moving among the church and the people of God to enter into the injustices of our world. And it's an exciting time to be a part of the church. I want to tell you a little bit about how I started in this area in the two, early 2000s because of my position at Antioch. I was able to travel to many different countries, and particularly Thailand and Uganda and India, and that's when I first saw human trafficking up close. I saw young girls and boys being sold in brothels. I saw child soldiers and met young men who were forced to be child soldiers. And that's when Jesus first gave me a heart for justice specifically for the injustice in our world of modern-day slavery, human trafficking around the world. It was in these kinds of trips that compassion, that compassion of Jesus was born in my heart. Now, I'm just going to be real honest with you, maybe make some of y'all feel good. When I really wouldn't consider myself an overly compassionate person, and what makes, that, um, makes me really aware of that is early on in my marriage to Marty, he is like the picture of compassion. I mean, he's kind and gentle and generous and giving and fun, I would say. If y'all know him, he's very fun. But um, in the compassion realm, I figured out early on that we had different levels of compassion, and he far exceeded mine. On that rare occasion where I got sick and actually had to throw up, sorry about that church, but it's just real life, right? And I would go in the bathroom. I'm serious. To this day, he will jump up, run into the bathroom, hold back my hair, get a wet washcloth, and help me. Is that amazing? I mean, he's amazing. And that's just who he is. He's super compassionate. Well, unfortunately for him, when the roles are reversed, I'm just going to tell on myself, I try to do the same thing. I've seen what he did. I'm like, that's really kind. I like that he's right there for me. And so I get up. I run into the bathroom. And have y'all ever had that strange experience where you start laughing and you really shouldn't? <laughs> like, it is the wrong response, wrong place, but you just can't stop. I have no idea why I do this. Every single time you can ask him. I will run in there and go, are you, are you okay? <laughs> and he's like, get out of here, get out of here. I mean, it's horrible. If he gets hurt or he gets sick, I just start laughing. I tell him it's a nervous reaction, but, but he's not buying it. <laughs> anyway, very, very sad about that. Well, 
Throughout the years of marriage and parenting and ministry, I have grown, and, um, but I will be honest, compassion isn't something that comes really naturally to me. But this morning, I want to share with you compassion in action, which is a key part of the church's response in the world that God wants to give us a heart for justice. And as we go through this message, I want you to ask yourself this, this question. Do you have no compassion, little compassion, or real active compassion? At Unbound, we regularly receive phone calls from victims of trafficking around our community. Sometimes the calls come from mothers. Honestly, that's mostly who calls us. We have phone calls from law enforcement agencies asking us to come talk with a girl that they've come upon. Sometimes it's a school because they recognize the signs of victims in their classrooms. Even the hospitals have called and we've gone to the ER to be able to sit with someone who has been brutally trafficked. Just three nights ago, we got a phone call from CPS. I'm feeling a little tender because this is real stuff, right? And so CPS called us and um, they said that they had recognized a four-year-old little boy who had um, suffered from physical abuse and just strangulations around his neck, bruises on his arms, and upon questioning them more, they got to the mother, and the mother was an 18-year-old girl, and they found out that this girl had been trafficked since she was 13 years old. She had been total control, under the total control of her trafficker from 13 to that day. She was trafficked from Honduras to Mexico into the U.S. She was chained in rooms. She was put in an apartment where he had total control of her papers, her food, what she got for her kids. And this was the first time she was able to make an outcry because he had threatened her that the Americans would take her kids away and just deport her. So she never could make an outcry. CPS was calling us because they had never come across this before. It was so exciting for us because we have an unbound Spanish team. My, um, our director of operations and his wife is a physician. They are fluent in Spanish because they were missionaries in Costa Rica. They went down and picked up this family because the, the lady had three children by this time by the trafficker. They picked her up and they brought her to safety. They were able to talk her heart language and the CPS worker said she just came alive like, could this really be? Is this my freedom? And it was wonderful because it's exactly what the church does. Moved with compassion. I have this skill. I can speak this language. I've learned to understand about trafficking. And we called around, found a safe place for her, and went and took her. And then the Serratos who do the Spanish um, Unbound team there and also pastor a church, they were able to go and interview her. And we're translating it for law enforcement. We're able to assure her that she is safe now. And today, actually at 11 o'clock, she's at church. Is that awesome? This is a young girl who only speaks Spanish, who's had her education robbed from her, and now she is being loved on by the church. I mean, that's what it's about, people. I love it. I love seeing what God is doing. Amen? But... You know, in those moments, talking on the phone with a CPS worker, just hearing the story of just the most horrific thing you can think that could happen to a young girl, it's like, what do we do? It can be overwhelming. 
But thankfully in this situation, we were able to get her and take her to a safe place. And now we can help facilitate counselors and the structures that she needs to get her life back. But not every situation turns out like this. Sometimes we don't have solutions or the resources that we need. Sometimes we make call after call and we can't get what that victim needs at the time. But what I know is showing up, listening, being present is compassion in action. It's being committed to not walk away even when the circumstances seem so dark and so intense and at face value seem hopeless. But we hope in God, right? Our God's a supernatural God who loves to defy natural means and intervene. And so when we can bring that kingdom in those places, it's amazing. So today I want you to look at a familiar story in Luke 10, verse 30 through 37, which is a story of the Good Samaritan. And I'll read it to us. Jesus answered, There was once a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when the robbers attacked him, stripped him, and beat him, leaving him half dead. It so happened that a priest was going down that road, and when he saw the man, he walked on by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite came along, went over, and he looked at the man, and then he walked on. But a Samaritan who was traveling that way came upon the man, and when he saw him, his heart was filled with compassion. Somebody say that. His heart was filled with compassion. He went over to him, poured oil and wine on his wounds, and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own animal and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Take care of him, he told the innkeeper. When I come back this way, I will pay you whatever you spend on him. And Jesus concluded, which one of these acted like a neighbor towards the man attacked by the robbers. This story leaves us with some questions. Who was this injured man? How did he get in this situation? Was he a bad guy like involved in a deal gone bad? Had he made bad choices to get himself in that situation? Or was he an innocent bystander just caught up in something horrific? We don't know. What we know is that he was brutally beaten and he was left for dead and he was in dire need of someone moved with compassion. The priest is the one that saw him first. He obviously was a religious man, but he was not a man of compassion. His religion was in his head, not in his sacrifice or any actions. He had what I would say is no compassion. Not only did he not go to him, but he barely even looked at him and went on the other side to get away. Next, the Bible tells us about the Levite. He at least went over to the guy. He had a little compassion. He kind of went over and said, bummer, man, looks bad. Wonder what happened. And then he left, right? But then we know that we see the Levite who went over and he got in and really looked at him. I'm sorry, the, um, who was the next guy? Samaritans, what the story's about? Amen. Y'all know your Bible. Good job, Jamie. All right. But we know that the Samaritan was moved by compassion, and he really laid down his own agenda, his own trip. He bandaged up the wounds. He spent money. He risked his own safety, and he went to help him. Let me tell you something about the compassion business. For us, it's Happen, it's helping victims of human trafficking. And sometimes these are sweet women like the one I just told you about. 
and they are desperately looking for help, eager for us to come visit them and help them get connected to get their life back. Other times, they're victims that have been through so much trauma in their life. They are rough around the edges. They're difficult to handle. Their stories are bumpier. Their outcomes are less predictable. And yet, that's what we're called to do. We have to leave those results up to Jesus. Sometimes because of that, though, because of the hardness and because of the difficulty, it can be overwhelming. And we can be like the priest or the Levite who says, I want to walk away. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to risk. But God has called us to do this. So having a heart for justice is letting God work that compassion in our lives that lead us to the actions he would put before us. When we started Unbound in 2012, I had some pretty good arguments with the Lord about why I was not the right one to do this job. Today in our world, there are more than 30 million modern-day slaves. These are men, women, and children who are forced to work in factories, sweatshops, farms, or homes as domestic slaves against their will. There are children all around the world who are forced to be beggars or work long hours as child laborers with their whole children, their life and school being stolen from them. We see many who are sold in brothels, strip clubs, and the commercial sex industry. Human trafficking is the fastest growing criminal industry in the world. That's because guns or drugs you can sell one time, but a person you can sell over and over and over again. So sophisticated cartels and Gangs are getting into trafficking as well as business people or just the street drug dealer because it's so profitable. Here in the United States, the average age of victim is first trafficked is 12 to 14 years old. These are American children in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and it's unbelievable. But it's something that we see repeatedly. And there are dozens of ways that trafficking can happen, but it impacts every age, gender, race, or socioeconomic status. Most of the situations that we see involved a guy that's older posing as a boyfriend, messaging them on social media, building up a relationship, many times unknown to parents or guardians, and they get their affection and their loyalty all wrapped up into this boyfriend who turns out to be a pimp. When they work this relationship and maneuver into their life and manipulate this young person, they can mix that love and affection with brutality, and they call that trauma bonding, which they get addicted and involved in that trafficker, and it's hard for them to see that they truly are a victim. It's very complicated. Traffickers prey on the vulnerabilities of their victims. And vulnerabilities are really any unmet need of the young person. For many of our victims, it's poverty because they can maneuver into their life to offer them things that they may not have access to. A runaway, someone in foster care, in the juvenile detention center, these are among the most vulnerable populations. And children who are just looking to belong they are looking for someone to come in and paint a picture of this beautiful life, and they'll risk going for that. Other vulnerabilities are unsupervised internet and social media access. 
And this is from a lack of exposure to the realities that we can teach young people about um, the harms of social media. So I'm really proud of the Unbound team here really getting before as many kids as they can, showing them how to stay safe. But I'll be honest with you, I'm not a social worker. I'm a mom. I have four girls. I was abused as a child. There were many reasons that I argued with the Lord about why I didn't think I was the right one to tackle this big issue. I literally was like, God, I don't know if I have the emotional stamina to really hear these stories. And when I was arguing with the Lord, I came upon this children's book called Jonah and the Worm by Jill Briscoe. And it's a story of Jonah told by the worm's perspective. And the worm is saying, God, I don't want to go to Nineveh. Sounds like Jonah, right? He's saying, I don't want to go to Nineveh. They're mean. They're murderous. They're, they betray one another. I don't want to go. But the worm yielded to the will of God because he knew that's where God was calling him. And interestingly, as he went in the will of God, he began to glow. And so the worm didn't know he was a glow worm. And then this one line in the story said, you do not know what can come out of you until darkness surrounds you. To me, that was a rhema moment that truly it's about God in us. It's about the power of God and not our weak self. But that God in us can truly cause us to glow like a glowworm and penetrate this very horrific darkness. So having a heart for justice is compassion in action. It's looking into the darkest and most helpless situations in our world, in the people of lives around us, and believing that there is hope and restoration. Because there is. God is a God of hope. God sees the end from the beginning. God is a supernatural healer. He is our deliverer, and he is enough no matter what has happened in anyone's life. Amen? Well, the dictionary definition of compassion means to suffer with. It's a deep awareness of the suffering of another accompanied with the desire to relieve it. Compassion in action comes at a cost. And we know that as we've looked at that Samaritan. You know, it cost him his resources. It cost him the interruption of his agenda. It cost him his safety. And it cost him coming back and checking on him. But yet he was moved by compassion and allowed himself to be inconvenienced. And I would charge you, you will be inconvenienced. If you want to get in people's lives and be the light and the life of God, it does cost you. It costs you your time. It costs you your resources. But I'm going to tell you, it's the most beautiful thing that you can do. To sit next to someone who their parents, about a little girl who's being trafficked, and to be able to bring hope is one of the most amazing things to be able to do it. Because it, we know as the people of God, no matter what's happened to someone, that we have the answer, and that's Jesus. And we can encourage, and we can love, and we can come alongside, and it's so, so important. One of the most powerful stories for me that exemplified this was one day I got a phone call from a mom. We get a lot of moms that call us. I mean, we got to be out there. We got to be available. They got to know about us. Where else are they going to go? We're safe. The church is safe. And so this mom called and she said, my daughter has been arrested and she's being charged as a trafficker. She's 21 
and she has been trafficked for two years. And I recognized that case from the front page of our newspaper, so I told her to hold on, and I patched in one of our volunteer attorneys because I knew this case would be complicated. I listened to her story. She said her daughter went off to college and started getting rebellious and using drugs and quit school and moved in with a boyfriend, and it was abusive, so she ended up on the streets because her parents had cut her off financially through all that turmoil, and she got picked up by a trafficker. And then she had been arrested in Waco for luring in some runaways from the Waco Center for Youth into the trafficking. Well, I went to the jail and visited with her, and we worked with the DA to keep working with them to explain to them that this is classic behavior, unfortunately, of a victim. And they allowed us to place her in a safe house, and she has finished a year program and is working and getting her life back. She's doing really phenomenal. Amen? But when um, her parents came and we were transferring her that day from the jail to the safe house, some volunteers had put some clothes together for her to change into, and I asked her parents to come see me at the church to give those to her. And when I told them, I went and I saw her at jail and at the jail, and she's beautiful and she's smart, and I asked her, how can Unbound be praying for you? And she said, pray for the girls that are out there that they'll get rescued and find God. So I was able to tell those parents that she was thinking of others in what she said, and you could have seen the shame on them just dropping off. They, wanted, they needed to be able to look in the eyes of compassion about saying, your daughter is not a monster. Unfortunately, this is plaguing our young people. She is a victim, and there is help for her, and there is hope. Is that amazing? And I went back to my office, and I just couldn't hold back the tears after they left because I was like, thank God the church is there. Thank God we're here and we're doing it. And it was amazing to see what God would do. Jesus ultimately is our picture of compassion and action. The Bible tells us this over and over again. But just to highlight a few scriptures, in Mark 6, 34, it says, When Jesus saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them. Again, in Matthew 14, 14, it says, When Jesus saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And Mark 1, verse 40, it says, Jesus, filled with compassion for the leper, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Each time, the compassion led Jesus to action. Sometimes it was teaching. Sometimes it was healing or delivering. Sometimes providing. But each time, his heart was moved and he acted. We don't know what the response to all of Jesus' actions were, but we can pretty much be assured that not everyone turned around and thanked him and laid down everything to obediently follow him. They didn't all respond correctly, but the people's response did not dictate Jesus' compassion. The heart of God did. Compassion in action is not fixed on the results, but it's being like Jesus. It's doing it because he compels us to, right? My friend Amy is a church planner in Cambodia and leading the Unbound team there. And a few years back when she went on a scouting trip there, she was just fixing to get on her airplane to come back home. And she was in the red light district and met a young girl. The girl had only been there a couple of days. And Amy said, you need to look up this organization. You need to get connected with them. They can give you job skills and you don't have to do this. And then Amy had to leave. And there was nothing really she could do to help remove her except for that short conversation. 
Well, two years later, when Amy got back to Cambodia, she was meeting with that organization, and she recognized the young girl. The young girl was working for the organization, helping other women, and living for Jesus. Is that amazing? And so even when we do things that seem small, it's just a conversation or a helping hand, our actions matter in the lives of people. Amy could have done nothing because literally there were hundreds of girls out there that day. But she did for the one what she wished she could have done for them all. So again, I want to ask you the question, do you have no compassion, little compassion, or real active compassion? Twelve times in the gospel, compassion is mentioned. And we often think of compassion as having pity or feeling sorry for someone. But the Greek word for compassion is splemechia. It's the strongest word for love. It literally is the word for guts or intestines. And I know that makes Marty's compassion more real. I know. But it's used to describe the compassion of Jesus. And it literally means that he is gutted. He is brokenhearted when he sees the suffering in our own lives or the lives of others. This compassion is physical and deeply emotional. It's a moving of the inward parts towards what is happening there that is so bad. And Jesus, when he is moved with compassion, he is physically and emotionally touched at his core. So what that means for us is that he has compassion on us. When we are suffering, when we suffer a broken relationship or a sickness or the loss of a job or the death of a loved one, whatever it may be, an addiction that we haven't gotten over yet, that suffering, then we can know that Jesus has compassion towards us, that he's moving towards us, and that he cares. He, is, he feels it. He feels it. And he is enough. And then we, in turn, in response to that great compassion of Jesus, we can have the courage to open up our heart and to feel the pain of others and to move towards them. Compassion in action is knowing the one who feels our pain so that we can open our heart to feel the pain of others. So what does God see when he sees thousands of men, women, and children taking a desperate voyage across the sea out of Syria, braving the terror of the journey ahead of them because it's better than the death behind them. These are students and moms and doctors and nurses and laborers that are making that treacherous trip across the waters to get safe. They are so vulnerable to human trafficking because Europe already has a very sophisticated human trafficking organization working there. I've got a picture here, and this is our director, Kelly, our director of Unbound Europe. And she's there in Lesbos, which is a little island in Greece. And this is just showing about 10,000 life jackets that have been discarded. And there have been 580,000 people who just in 2015 made the trek from Turkey in a little rubber dinghy with these life jackets on to over to Lesbos, that island. Is that incredible? 
And I'm so thankful that she and her team are there. And that they're there this summer trying to figure out how can we get information to them. We've translated prevention materials in three different languages to keep them safe. And then we've got church planners praying and sharing the gospel all throughout Europe. And so excited about the work that we're doing and engage the crisis. We know from the word of God and through human history what God feels when he sees injustices like that. And we know that God's number one action plan is the church. When I first started getting into this, I I remember as a young girl learning about the Holocaust or learning about the slave days in the transatlantic slave days. And I would think, where was the church? Would I be brave enough to do something? And here in our day, we want to say the church is responding. That we are hearing, we are seeing, and we are being mobilized to do our part. Whether it's giving, whether it's praying, whether it's preparing, whether it's going, that we are responding. And we're super excited about the opportunity to do that. So compassion and action in times of suffering is not new to the church. Throughout history, God has used the church as pioneers meeting these great social injustices across the world. It was the church who first built hospitals to care for the sick. The monks and the nuns were the ones that saw the sick in communities and rallied together to be able to meet those needs. It was the church that answered the need for common education because followers of Jesus were seeing the children living in poverty and being illiterate. And so it was the church that started Sunday schools. And that was originally to teach these children how to read and write so the trajectory of poverty would be turned around. And so it was the church that established Harvard and Princeton and Yale and Dartmouth to train ministers of the gospel. We were the ones who primarily were starting universities. The orphan crisis that erupted in America in the late 1800s, it was a pastor that was moved by compassion to answer the need. There were over 30,000 orphans just in New York alone. And so God gave him this vision to put these orphans on orphan trains and let them go throughout the United States. And the vision was for them to stop in communities and the church to come out, adopt these children, raise them as their own, give them an education, and teach them about Jesus. It wasn't a perfect system, but in that day, 250,000 children found families through the church. So the church is God's gift to the community and to the world. I believe this with all my heart. Where would we be without the congregations in our cities? I know in this generation, there's a move for people just to be isolated and and go here and go there. But I'm telling you, it will impact our cities if we continue that trend. We need local lighthouses. It's a powerful force for our communities. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the ones compelled by compassion to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. To be a part of the church is to be part of God's active, compassionate plan for the hurting of the world until Jesus returns. Compassion and action is rooted deeply and is inseparable from God's action plan for the world, the church. The church is made up of people like you and me that have a variety of skill sets to offer. We have electricians and law enforcement officers and teachers and moms and students. We penetrate all the different spheres. When we're together collectively, our resources can make the biggest difference. 
And so it is a powerful force in our communities. We, the church, are the ones that are filled with the Holy Spirit who gives us wisdom and leads us how to love people. Our communities and our world need the church to engage in God's great compassionate mission. When the church steps up to address these needs, our communities are blessed. And we've seen that firsthand through Unbound, how we've worked in the community. You've seen it here, and we've seen it in Waco and in our other cities. By simply responding in compassion, we've had the opportunity to speak to thousands, to be featured on the front page of the newspaper and on the evening news. We meet with political officials and gather the influences of our city, and we are collaborating in this great fight. The biggest thing is we, what we tell them is we say, Unbound will do our part and you do your part. We don't do law enforcement work. When we find a victim or something that's happening, we report it to them so they can do their work. We don't want our people not being safe or risking something that's going on, but the church plays an important part. The sheriff's office or Waco PD or Crimes Against Children will call us because they can make the arrest, but what do they do with that victim? My daughter Lindsay and I were at lunch a while back, and the sheriff's office called me and said, I've got an 18-year-old. Can you come and talk to her? She's really smart, graduated from school in three years, but she thought she was answering an ad for a modeling job, and she got trafficked. He said, we've done the report, we've arrested it, I don't know what else to do with her. So we came, and we were able to determine she did have a safe place to go back home to, and we took her to the bus station to send her home. Another time, we had another victim, beautiful, smart girl. I'm telling you, some of these victims are incredible people that God's going to do amazing things with. We had another one where um, I was able to call another organization in our community because collaboration is the name of the game. And they were able to meet me with the law enforcement with this girl because we were busy on another sting. I'll tell you about that. It's kind of fun. I get to go on stings. Don't you think it's cool that the pastor goes on stings? I think it's really cool. And uh, so... We had one girl, and I was busy on the sting, so I called another organization, and they came and met this girl, and they took her to the bus station, and then our sister organization in another city picked her up to transfer her to a safe place. That's the church, because we're networked together, and it's just amazing to see what we get to do. Every week, our volunteers go into the local juvenile detention center, and um, Lisa mentioned that to you. And we want to show the kids how to stay safe from trafficking. And we are passionate about prevention because it's the most compassionate work we can do for the vulnerable youth in our cities. We want to save them from the abuse and trauma and the long journey of recovery that comes through trafficking. And through this simple and consistent effort, we have helped just in the Waco Detention Center identify 24 victims of trafficking just in our city. We haven't got the numbers from all the other cities yet. These are victims, mostly girls, some are boys, and these are teenagers in our own community. So this compassionate work is powerful as the lives of children are changed and each experience of these kids, they get love and value. Us going into the juvenile detention center, I mean, I I remember going into the detention center because of my nephew a number of years back, and I went in and I wept. When you see 11, 12, and 13-year-olds in orange orange suits and shackles around their ankles, and you're sitting there, and it's like, it's not because of that kid. 
It's because of the parenting. It's because our community has failed them. And I remember leaving going, God, we've got to get in here. This feels so dark. I had no idea that three years later, through Unbound, we can get in there. And the vehicle of Unbound and whatever else God births is amazing for the church because it allows us access into the schools and the juvenile detention centers and the, and the other places that we need to be at. And so now we're in there and we're able to do lessons with them. We, we don't share Jesus. We don't share scripture. But we are there being Jesus. And then from that, they can ask us questions and we've been able to lead kids to Christ. But I am okay with following their rules to get in there and bring that light. It's amazing. And we are seeing transformation. You don't think they want to come to church? When they've been loved on like that unconditionally, when they've been taught that they have value, it's powerful. Going in the detention center and, and showing them that they have value. To, Laura will go in there and she, she uses 1 Corinthians 13, but doesn't tell them. You know? So she just says, let's talk about love today. Love's kind. Love's gentle. Love's not envious, boastful. It's not forceful. And she teaches them that. Well, what happened, we had two girls we knew had been trafficked that wouldn't self-identify. They went back out, were abused by the trafficker, and remembered, he says he loves me, but love's not abusive. Love is not forceful. And they picked up the phone and called the police and came back. Is that powerful? That's the church. Amen. Amen. The counseling supervisor at the detention center in a recommendation letter, he wrote these words. Unbound's work has provided survivors with the courage to make outcries to law enforcement, which in turn has led to criminal investigations, arrests, and indictments of perpetrators in our community. They are an invaluable resource to our agency, and I passionately recommend other, agent, other agencies to invite them in and let them do their amazing work. This is the church he's talking about. It's awesome because a lot of times the church gets a bad reputation when we are withdrawn or disengaged or judgmental of our community. But when we act in the compassion of God, doors are opened and our community gets to see the church do what it's created to do. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says we are ambassadors of Christ and God makes his appeal through us. So Compassion and action may look different for each one of us, but this morning I'm asking God to speak to us about the heart for justice, that compassion that moves us to bring the good news to the lost, to make disciples of the nation, to engage in the refugee crisis, to move in greater compassion in our own families, our own lives, with our own people, and be impactful for the kingdom of God. So just to leave you with a few practicals, what can you do with this message? I would encourage you, because this is Justice Week, that you educate yourself about human trafficking, that you invite the Fort Worth Unbound team to come train in your sphere, whether it's in your school, your classes, office, your workplaces, whatever setting you're in. Because when our hospitals and schools and businesses and other community members know about human trafficking, then we can stop this because it's being recognized. And the other thing that's so important about educating the average person is because the average person is the one that serves on jurors, right? And so if they don't know what they're looking at and they see a young girl who looks like she's got a drug problem, whose story is really horrific, whose story doesn't make sense because the trauma confuses her, and this trafficker has a suit on, we need the jurors educated. I mean, it's powerful. We have gone to the courtroom when the 
traffickers being sentenced or his trials going up. One time we were up there just a couple of weeks ago, and that trafficker was trying to stare down our 16-year-old. I was so proud of those mama bears in there from the church sitting right in that row ahead of her, just blocking him so he couldn't see her. That's awesome. So there is a place for everyone. There's lots of things that you can do. I know the college department this Friday night at 9.15 is going to do the glow run. So show up at the blue if you're a college student at 9.15 and support the work there. Next Saturday, the Not In My City campaign, even if you have 30 minutes or an hour, it is so impactful. You take these posters, they'll tell you exactly what to say. You go into a business and say, hi, I'm from Unbound and we're, um, or from the church, whichever way you want to do it, and we are really concerned about human trafficking in our communities. Would you allow us to put these posters up and tell them about it? Every single business we went in said we could put it up. And then sometimes we had the opportunity to say, how can I pray for you? Can I bless your business? People really want to be a part, but that is a powerful thing that you can do and be a part of this Saturday. Another thing is serve kids in our community. You can volunteer in the kids ministry here or in the youth group because there are so many negative influences through social media in the culture against the kids today. We need holy men and women investing in kids and it matters. So find a place to speak life and sow into kids. It's so important. So whatever you do today, I just want to encourage you to take action. My hope is that you'll leave here ready to commit to a life of compassion and action, that you will be committed to not walk away when you see brokenness, and that you'll experience a fresh wave of compassion of Jesus in your own life so that you are enabled to open up your heart to the pain of others, that even when you are exposed to dark and seemingly hopeless situations, that that hope in God is what will arise out of us. You know, when our team went and picked up this little family, that CPS worker was so overwhelmed, and he literally told Brian that he was going to go home and get drunk. He just couldn't handle what had happened. And man, my team, they're like, come on, Jesus. I mean, we live with hope. Yes, it's sad what happened to her. Yes, that is hard, but we live with hope. We live to say, my goodness, isn't it exciting that the church has intervened in her life, that we're able to go to rally around her. The Spanish ministry is able to get around her and get her life back and help her do that. That's the life of God. And so we don't get down. We're encouraged to be able to bring the light and the life of Jesus into the world. And I want you to remember that it's not about your ability or producing results, but it's about just being like Jesus. And lastly, that I will say that knowing to live in this compassion is to be rooted in God's compassionate action plan for the world, and that is through his church. Amen? Amen. So why don't y'all stand with me?